It's good to be back in Cedar Rapids. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here with you and my wife uh, here this morning facilitating this prayer time. Um, neither Glenn or Eric's here, so I'm kind of like the, I got the thing going here. <laughs> so I don't know what your habit has been of, as far as breaking into groups, if you do that before the sermonette or after, I don't know how you do, after? Okay. So we'll just get to that in a minute. Um, yeah, what you're doing with prayer is uh, indispensable. I, I really believe that at this point in my life, I've been convinced that prayer is the most important thing, the most productive thing, the most satisfying thing that we can do. And at this point in Redeemer's life, your prayer life is the most important, the most productive, and the most satisfying thing that you could be doing, that you should be doing. In case you haven't noticed, we live in a dark and dangerous world. We have things going on in our church that needs the hand of God involved, and so, yeah, this is right. At age 72, it's been my observation that we, that is the human race, are too busy. Our days are full of stuff that we want to do, stuff that we have to do, good stuff, bad stuff, useful stuff, useless stuff. Our time is occupied with stuff. And the sad reality is that most of the stuff we do is done without the sanction of God because we're too busy doing stuff to ask God, what kind of stuff should we be doing? Even the good stuff that we do arises from within ourselves. It's driven by our sense of urgency. We run off willy-nilly doing stuff that makes sense to us, stuff that's conceived at the intersection of our finite knowledge and our minuscule wisdom. We don't spend enough time, if any, capturing the mind and heart of God about the matters that we face. And it's not my intent to shame anybody about their prayer life. Everyone in here probably would confess that we don't pray as much as we could or should or want. But rather than flowing from a deep intimacy with the Lord, conceived in and nurtured by prayer, our doing precedes our being. For those of you who have been around me much here over the last year or so, I am obsessed with being a human being and not a human doing. Being in love with him, being in his presence, being in the know because I've spent time with him. And when we don't do that, our doing becomes stumbling, unproductive, becomes scary, tiresome, frustrating. Insert your own adjective here. It's perhaps a generalized, unfair assessment of your prayer life, possibly, but I'm content I'm confident that it does accurately describe the prayer life and the degree of intimacy with the Lord that many Christians experience today. It's a shame. It's a shame because we were created to be human beings and not human doings. In the garden, God created Adam and then he created Eve because... It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. We're created 
for connection, for relationship. The Lord gave them a sweet gig. Take care of my garden. Do stuff. But also in the garden, God enjoyed intimacy with Adam and with Eve. The Lord came and hung out in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, possibly giving them some tips on gardening. I don't know. But it was in the intimacy and relationship that he had with his children that they're doing, they're tending, their stewardship had significance, productivity, joy. Advance into the Old Testament a little further. God laid out a set of rules to the his nation Israel, who he had just freed from bondage in Egypt, a kind of a to-do list, laws, commandments, observe this festival, do this thing, a to-do list. But his desire, the desire of his heart, always was for his people to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. God didn't need them to do anything he created them for relationship. God's desire then as it is now is for him to be the center of his people's affections, our spirit fully aligned with him. He, the first thought in their minds. This, Jesus said, is the greatest commandment, to be fully present with him in every moment. And it's the standard, that standard, that we fall short of. Even in our best moments. So what you're doing with prayer is great. My wife and I, um, with uh, some friends, do prayer retreats, rest and receive. And the whole goal is to help people establish intimacy with the Lord through prayer. We try to provide a few tools that they can take home with them to continue on. You know, a mountaintop experience, a couple days retreat is good, but it's not enough. You got to do it 24 7, 360, five days a year. So I'll be sharing a tool that we use in our retreats. You know, and, and I know that intimacy with God can seem, first of all, Intimidating? You, yeah, you want me to hang out with God? That's a pretty heavy thought. Or difficult. I mean, I don't know how to do that. I, I can't see God. I can't hear God. I, I don't know. I don't know how to hang out with God. I don't know how to gain intimacy. And I would agree that it is a fearful and difficult thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The ancient Hebrews would not even pronounce the name of God. That's how much reverence they had, fear and awe of him, much less to stand in his presence. But Jesus has torn down the barrier that separates his people from him, and he sent his spirit to live not with us, by us, around us, but in us. If you have confessed Jesus as Lord, the presence of God is within you. You don't have to go very far. He's reached out to provide 
an opportunity for intimacy with you. All we have to do is seek, ask, knock, and that's where we fall short. We're too busy doing stuff. But the stakes are too high not to. In case you haven't noticed, it's a dark and dangerous world that's getting darker and more dangerous all the time. There are critical issues regarding your lives, your relationships, your careers or jobs, your health, your finances. The list goes on and on. Issues regarding the world in which you live. Wars, natural disasters, climate change, political and social upheaval. There are critical issues regarding your church. And so much more. But you know, God doesn't just offer you solutions. He's already solved your problem, by the way. He offers you peace in the storm. Confidence to face the future. Strength to row against the wind. He offers the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So with this said, I'm about done talking about prayer and just about ready to invite you into prayer. And I want to invite you to pray through Acts with me. Would you put the first slide up there, please? Acts stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Pretty simple stuff. In First Chronicles, we read, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast... Oops, I'm on the wrong one here. I've jumped all the way to Thanksgiving. Get the red sheet out here. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonders? Confession. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. You can advance to the next slide if you haven't already. There we go. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Thanksgiving. Next slide. Man, he's right ahead of me. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving devotion endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And then supplication. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And I'm going to stop for just a second right here and say a whole sermon series could be preached on those four things. Adoration, confession, Thanksgiving and supplication. You could spend a year preaching about prayer. How to do it. When to do it. What does prayer do? Why does God want it? We don't have time for that. So just a few words more before I turn you loose. First about the order. When Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, he began the lesson with, Our Father, hallowed be your name. 
he starts out saying, first thing you need to do is to reflect God's glory back to him. Praise him, worship him, love him, adore him. Glory, honor, praise, worship to the majestic name of God first before anything else. When we do that, it reminds us it's all about him and it's not about us. And I could go down a rabbit hole right here, but I'm resisting, so let's move on. It reminds us of his sufficiency as the author and creator, the sustainer of the universe. And it's just good and right to bask in God's glory. And then comes confession. You know, I used to think that the order should be cats. Confession first. You know, because, you know, God can't stand the sight of my sin. He turns his head away, right? And I don't want my mess getting in the way of my communication with God. But I've also come to believe that by soaking in the sufficiency of God first, that my insufficiency of, as a human being is highlighted, becomes more acute, it becomes more pronounced. My sin is more obvious to me and more disgusting. God's glory me, oh my word, big gap. I'm put in my proper place. And it's good to agree with God about that. It gives me the humility necessary to be open and honest with God and to, and to listen to what he says rather than just spouting out what I want. If I don't have his majesty firmly in mind, my confession will probably be anemic, it'll be incomplete, or insincere. So adoration, confession. Once I have that settled in my heart, I can proceed thanksgiving. Before I go to the throne of grace to ask for more, it's good to remember what God's already done. Spend time thanking Him for whatever you have received from Him in the past. Mercy, grace, generosity, provision, divine intervention. Don't be an ungrateful, petulant child. These first three steps prepare us to supplicate, to ask, even for those things which seem impossible for us. To believe that, yeah, impossible for us to believe. Too often our prayer life is all about us. I want, I need, gimme, gimme, gimme. God is reduced to a spiritual sugar daddy. It's true that he invites us to bring all sorts of requests to him. He delights in giving good gifts, but he deserves, he demands so much more than just our needs. A couple more thoughts. Pray scripture where possible. For example, if you're having a hard time putting words to a prayer of adoration, I get that. I mean, who can conceive of God in all of his glory and majesty? Well, God's given us crib sheets. If nothing else, go to the last six chapters of Psalms. They're amazing. They declare the glory of God in and elsewhere in Psalms, and elsewhere in Scripture. Turn to Scripture. 
if you're having trouble believing that He can or will answer your prayers or meet your needs, find His promises in Scripture and stand on them. Scripture is an important tool when it comes to prayer. And you've got to believe it's God's Word. It's not some watered-down cliff notes. It's not some man's good idea of what God should say. It's the Word of God. He's made promise to you. Stand on them. In regards to confession, if you are reminded in your little prayer circle by the Spirit of God of an offense you have committed to another in that prayer circle, take it to your prayer closet first. Don't confess it out loud and at that moment. There's a time to approach that brother or sister and confess that I've harmed you, brother. I've harmed you, sister. But it can be disconcerting for a brother or sister to receive this confession unprepared and in the presence of others. I'm not saying don't do it, but start with God in private and then individually go to that individual, to that person. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be dividing the next 30 minutes or so into four equal segments. There will be a slide presented for each segment offering some scriptures that you might yeah, find uh, helpful. And there's a fine line separating each of these um, prayer themes. You may find yourself slipping from one into another, from... Um, thanksgiving into adoration or from adoration into supplication from thanksgiving to supplication it goes it can go anywhere but i want to encourage and that's not bad all right you're praying and uh, i want to encourage you to let the spirit direct your thoughts and prayers but i also want to encourage you as much as possible to focus on each theme as fully as possible in its turn spend time in each one we have about, about seven, eight minutes per, I think. Um, don't shortchange God with adoration. Don't look, overlook your sins or your failings, your faults uh, in confession. Don't just mumble a sentence of thanks to God. You could probably spend weeks asking God for stuff, right? This is a tool, hopefully, that you'll take and use in your own prayer life. Okay, so, each one of us has our own needs and desires, concerns, hopes, and heartaches. I'm not going to tell you what to pray for. I know you've been praying for this church heavily. That's good. You should. But you also have lives outside of this church. We do have the Spirit, one Spirit, capital S, that unites us. Let him guide your prayers. Start out by asking the Holy Spirit to form your thoughts, to captivate your heart, to grab your attention, to focus you on how he wants you to speak to him, what he wants you to say to him, ask him for. Let the Spirit direct your hearts and minds in order to know what to pray for. So gather a few people who are around you, and get ready to approach the throne of grace. I'm going to give you a, a few moments to do that, and then we'll start the clock on adoration.